It's amazing. The great I am lying in a manger. It's one of the things I love about Christmas is that the, the pictures tell the story. I love just looking at one of these mangers or picture of the artwork someone has done. I mean, the, the idea of angels on a hillside letting shepherds know the lowest of the low that God had come near. Thinking about the wise men, thinking about basically the stall that he was born in, thinking about those parents, probably teenagers, Joseph and Mary. The pictures tell a story. The pictures tell us so many different stories throughout Scripture, and there's a picture today that I want you to see. If you've been around the church for a while, you've probably seen portions of it before. You may not have seen it or thought of it this way, and so my hope and prayer today is that we will walk out of here understanding what Jesus has done for us in a fresh and new way from a perspective maybe you hadn't thought of, but that you'll have a picture in your mind. And I want all of you to participate in the picture today. You're all part of the story. So our host team is going to come around right now, and if you walked past them coming in and you did not pick up an index card, I need you to raise your hand because you're going to need it, okay? I need everyone to participate today. Uh, No, this is not a commitment to some new giving campaign or... uh, You're not signing your life away in any way. It's going to be your card, your thoughts, and uh, but I need everyone to take one, and you're just going to have to trust me. All right. Last week, Pastor Brian started us off as they're coming around. He started us off in this new series that we've called "All Is Bright," and we've called it this because in a world where there's a lot of darkness, there's a lot of confusion. There's a lot of concerns about the state of the affairs all over the world. No matter what is going on, we can have confidence because God is on the throne, because he has sent his son Jesus, that all is actually well and all is bright. God has sent the light of the world into the world. The scriptures say that even the darkness is as light to him. So no matter how dark your life may feel at any given time, you can have confidence because God has sent his son Jesus, the light. Last week, Pastor Brian talked about this idea from the book of Hebrews that Jesus was sent to be a prophet. Now, prophets previously had been known as people that would condemn and cast judgment on everything that was going on, going on wrong with Israel and, uh, and, and so on. But there had been a prophet foretold in Deuteronomy chapter 18, and Hebrews chapter 1 takes us back there. But Hebrews chapter 1 also gives us something else that Jesus came to be. But he's not a prophet. He's not a prophet like of old. He's a prophet in a new way. You know why he's a prophet in a new way. You just hadn't thought of it before. He's not a prophet who condemns, but he's one who loves and saves. John tells us about this. In John 3, this is the one you know. John says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. We know that one, right? John three sixteen. that's the one we hold up at football games. That's the one under Tim Tebow's eyes with whatever sport he's playing at any given time. 
But too often we stop at verse 16 and we don't look at verse 17 that clarifies what Jesus came to do. It says, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved. He's not a prophet sent to condemn. He's sent to save. And then to Hebrews chapter one, here's the bolt on that the author of Hebrews gives us. It says, he is the radiance, talking about Jesus, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. That word, he's a prophet, but he's something else. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Seated at the right hand of God is Jesus, our great high priest. We're going to be talking today about Jesus being our high priest You say, I didn't think I needed a priest. Yeah, you actually did need a priest. Because a priest is that person that connects us to God. That priest is the mediator. It's that agent before uh, before God that stands for the people, stands in between the people and God, connects us all together. That's what a priest is supposed to be. Represents God, but also represents the people. Now, there are hours and hours and pages and pages and chapters upon chapters of this idea in the scriptures of Jesus being our great high priest. But I'm a Cliff Notes guy, okay? So you're not going to get hours and hours today. You're going to get approximately 27 more minutes of this. Uh, When I say Cliff Notes, how many of you understand what I'm talking about? All right? Everyone who doesn't have their hand raised is mad that they didn't find out in time, okay? (laughs) All right, so I'm going to take you to Hebrews chapter 8. If you want to turn your Bibles, you can turn there. All of these thoughts about Jesus being our great high priest, Hebrews 7, 8, 9, and 10, sprinkled all throughout there. But I like Hebrews 8 because it says this. Now the point in what we are saying is this. Cliff notes. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places, In the true tent that the Lord set up, not man, for every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Thus, it is necessary for this priest to have something to offer. So if Jesus is going to be our great high priest, he has to come with something. He has to come with a gift and he has to come with a sacrifice. Now, when you think of priest, what do you think about? Really and truly. Now, I was raised Baptist. We didn't need a priest, okay? Uh, Methodist, you probably didn't need a priest. Being raised Baptist, can I tell you when I hear the word priest, or even when I say it, where my mind goes? This is awfully disturbing, but I'm going to give it to you. Uh, Rocky one, okay? I don't know if you've seen the Rocky movies. I think a priest shows up at some point in all the Rocky movies. Um, But if you remember, Rocky's running through the streets of Philadelphia. He's running late for the fight with the Apollo Creed. Why is he running late? Because Rocky, the Italian stallion, needs to go see his priest one more time. And so he hollers up to the priest who hollers back down, hey, Rock, from two or three stories up, and gives Rocky one last blessing. That was the priest. I mean, that's my reference for priest. That's pretty sad, isn't it? Some of you have a lot greater reference. From our membership or partnership classes, we know that the people who are coming here from other churches... Number two or number three are our Catholic friends. I know that there are a lot of you that were raised in the Catholic church. And so when I say the word priest, your mind instantly goes to something like this. Yeah, there's that guy. 
I'm so thankful that I don't have to be that guy. Can I just tell you? All right. I mean, you think about the collar, all dressed in black. I mean, it's, it communicates something. I asked some of our former Catholics who attend the church here, I asked them, okay, when I say the word priest, for better or for worse, I want you to tell me what this means. And so here's what they said. Thinking of that picture, lots of requirements, lots of rules. Pristine. I'm not even sure what that means, but I guess the robe is always dry cleaned and always looking good. Uh, the collar is always white for sure. But listen to these words. Untouchable, cold, routine, unrelatable, condescending. Ouch. Now, I'm not a priest. Never wanted to be a priest. I'm a pastor. But can I tell you, this plays a little bit in Protestant and evangelical circles as well. Because if I'm sitting in a Starbucks working on a message and I have my Bible open, I can just tell you people walk around me differently, like with more distance, okay? I'm that guy in the grocery store or the restaurant or in Starbucks who might talk to you whether you want to be talked to or not. It's just me. It's just who I am. It's that kind of thing. But when I open a Bible, it's like a force field has gone up around me, all right? And I don't know what this is, but people just, you know, they make the big circle around the guy with the Bible who thinks he, I don't know what they're thinking. Maybe they think, he thinks he's holier than I am. Maybe when they associate with a pastor, like they would a priest, others would with a priest, they're thinking of, of shame and, and guilt and, and all of these other negative emotions. I mean, there's some great priests out there. I mean, a couple of them gave feedback of there are some great storytellers that we know of and that kind of thing. But for the most part, we think of all the things that we're not doing or all the areas of our lives that we can't talk to that guy about. Some of you have come to church today for the first time in a long time. This is your Christmas Sunday. And some of you, the reason why you're not in church week to week is because you feel like there are large portions of your life that you need to drive as far around this building as possible when you're making your way down Highway 92. I mean, it's, it's a real thing. You feel ashamed a little bit. And someone brought you in here today and you're just hoping that we, don't, that we would please just talk about Christmas and not talk about your thing. And you had no idea we were going to be in the book of Hebrews and you also have no idea that we're going to be in Leviticus chapter 16. The king of all Christmas passages. Not really at all, but Merry Christmas. You can turn in your Bibles to Leviticus chapter 16 because I want you to understand something. Jesus was not Catholic. He was not Baptist or Presbyterian or Methodist or anything else. Uh, Jesus was Jewish. And so if Jesus came to be our high priest, you have to understand a little bit of the foundation of that. And the foundation of that is found in Leviticus chapter 16. But before we get there, the pictures tell the story. So as the children of Israel are walking through the wilderness as they've left Egypt and they're wandering in the desert, God has given to Moses in the book of Exodus through seven statements, he has given him instructions on how to build a portable church, tabernacle in the wilderness, the tent of meeting. I want you to have a look at this on screen. I want you to look at this for just a moment. The pictures tell the story. I want you to understand. At the bottom of the screen, the purple cloth there in this particular picture is the doorway. That's the entrance to the tent of meeting. 
If you'll notice, the children of Israel are camped on all four sides. The children of Israel, as you probably know, are grouped into 12 tribes. And so three tribes would camp on each side. So this would always be in the middle. And based on wherever this was, that's how you knew where to take your family to camp out with your tribe to be around the tabernacle. They set this up everywhere they went. And so they've got to God's exact specifications. So they've got all of this set up. And if you go a little further, the article there in the middle, that's an altar. So that's an altar where sacrifices are done for the sins of the people. And the priest, their job was to constantly, I mean, these guys never sat down. They're constantly walking around, taking care of the sacrifices that have been commanded by God for all the sins of the people. And the great high priest is overseeing all of this. And then you have this little basin of water that you're going to need before you go into the temple portion, if you will, the tabernacle portion itself. So in the front portion of that, you had a couple of articles of, of furniture. Um, they, one is a menorah. It's a, it's a lampstand. Another is a place for, for bread. Hebrews actually tells us that everything that Moses created, Hebrews 8, I think verse 5, tells us that all of these things are just shadows of things to come. That the things that Moses was asked to build in the book of Exodus are somehow shadows of heaven. I don't know exactly how all that will work. Let's all find out together, shall we? But in the meantime, I know that when you walk into that front door, there's a lampstand. And I know that Jesus said, I am the light of the world. I think he was tying some things together for some people. He also said, I'm the bread of life. The bread is in that room as well. And then you get to the next room. The next room is called the Holy of Holies. It's where the Ark of the Covenant is. The Ark of the Covenant, the top of it, is called the Mercy Seat. You do not walk into this room without blood. A blood sacrifice is necessary to cover our sins. Leviticus 17 explains that. You don't walk into that room without blood, and you don't walk into that room without the right incense. Frankincense was a big part of this, along with a mixture of some other things. We know that the high priest that we're going to read about here in just a moment, Aaron, Moses' brother, his sons had been killed some weeks earlier because they walked into this room with, the scripture tells us, a strange fire. They came into the tabernacle with the wrong thing. They did not follow God's specifications. Somehow they had put something into the incense that wasn't pure or holy. Once a year, the great high priest is allowed into that holy of holies. They would tie a rope around him because if he did anything wrong, he was going to die and they needed to be able to pull him out without going in there themselves. So once a year, on the day of atonement, Yom Kippur, maybe you've heard it called. Everyone would think long and hard about their sins. Leviticus 16, verse 1, says this. The Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron. And when they drew near before the Lord and died, the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron, your brother, not to come at any time into the holy place inside the veil. This would be the holy of holies. Before the mercy seat that is on the ark, so that he may not die, for I will appear in the cloud over the mercy seat. On that picture that they showed us a moment ago, the tent of meeting, there's this bright light kind of shining out of that. The idea is that God's presence was in that holy of holies, over top of the ark of the covenant, over top of the mercy seat. This Leviticus 16 is the commandment for one day a year to think long and hard about your sins. It's 10 days after Rosh Hashanah, the new year. 
everybody fasted on this day so that you would feel really bad about all your sins. The really spiritual ones would fast for 10 days from New Year's to Yom Kippur so that they would feel really bad about their sins. But on the Day of Atonement, we think long and hard about our sins. I want to invite you to be a part of the story. I want to ask you, and I'm going to give you a couple minutes to do this. I want to ask you to write your sins on the card. I'm playing a little role of priest here for just a moment, and it's time for confession. A woman came through Hope for Christmas, and I was driving one of the golf carts, golf carts to take her back to her car. And uh, the runner told her that I was a pastor here. I said, yes, I am. And so this golf cart is now a mobile confessional. You can begin at any time. <laughs> I don't think she's here this morning. I'm not sure. We invited her back. Now listen, I love to use humor to set you at ease at different times, sometimes accidentally. I want to set you at ease. No one's going to see your card. You're going to see uh, what happens to your card, and it's going to be a picture that I think is going to have a tremendous impact on how you understand Jesus and how Jesus understands you. Whether you normally come to church or not, I want you to know you can trust me. You're going to see everything that happens here in just a moment. And it paints an incredible picture that connects Leviticus to Hebrews. So I'm going to give you a couple minutes. Write your sins down. If you don't know what to write, hand the card to your spouse. They will help you. (laughs) And then they're actually going to pass the buckets so that you're not passing your sin down the aisle. In just a minute, they're actually going to pass the buckets. Now, if you want this picture to be the most clear and the most impactful in your mind, one more instruction. Some of you are already starting. You probably need to. It's okay. That was another bad joke. If you want this to be the most impactful, let me stop being trite for just a moment and let me say this. Write down something real. I know that in a crowd this size, there's people who struggle with addiction. I know that in a crowd this size, there's people who are looking things on, at a, things on a computer you ought not be looking at. I know that in a crowd this size, there's people that struggle with lust, with greed, with lying, with pride. And I know that those things are whispered at you all the time, the Holy Spirit trying to convict you as a child of God, and and sometimes you feel that conviction and sometimes you don't. But in this moment, to be a part of the story, I want you to think about your sin, and I want you to write it down. If you're really, really uncomfortable, or you just haven't sinned in the last three days... Um, then let me give you something else. What's holding you back the most? Is it shame? Is it guilt from your past? Accusations from other people? What's holding you back? Some of you have walked in here with a weight this morning that's not related to sin. Maybe it's grief. If people in our church who've buried spouses in the last two weeks, multiple families have buried parents this week, We have families in this church who've buried children in the last month. Whatever is weighing you down, start with sin and then write down the rest. And you've only got about 90 seconds to do it, so go ahead. 
everyone falls short, especially me. Everyone is weighed down by something. Just write down what comes to your head. One word, one line. Fill the card if you want. Take just another moment. I'm going to give you 20 more seconds. Host team, if you guys would pass the buckets, please collect the sin of God's people. <laughs> Things you didn't think you'd hear at church today. A couple minutes of awkward silence, other than the sound of writing. Imagine a whole day of this. And you do it every year. I mean, this was not the holiday you looked forward to, okay? A whole day of this. For some people that had fasted 10 days, it was 10 days of just thinking about their sin and how awful that they were. And so you come now to this moment on the Day of Atonement, and Aaron, the high priest, there's something he has to do first before he can carry out what needs to be done for the people. The first thing that he does is he sacrifices a bull for his sins and for the sins of his family. So that's done first. Aaron sacrifices the bull in the correct way according to God's instructions. He goes by the altar of incense gets some coals from there, and he walks into the Holy of Holies with some incense to, even the incense was meant to block his view because he could not gaze directly at the glory of God that was over top of the mercy seat on the Ark of the Covenant. And then he would just flick blood from the bull, because blood was necessary, on top of the mercy seat. Then he's ready for the next part. Leviticus chapter 16 verse 9 gives us the next part. And Aaron shall cast lots over two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other lot for Azazel. And Aaron shall present the goat on which the lot fell for the Lord and use it as a sin offering. But on the goat which the lot fell for Azazel shall be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement for it, that it may be sent away into the wilderness to Azazel. So the first goat is killed to cover the sins of the people. Blood is a necessary sacrifice in the economy of God to cover the sins. As I told you, these guys, you were going to be able to see your card all the way. So they're dumping all the cards into these buckets. We're not going to put them on the screens, don't worry. I'm not going to read anything aloud. But I want you to think about this sacrifice for the sins of the people. And then there's the other goat for Azazel. Some of your translations say scapegoat. The English Standard Version that we use around here says Azazel. It means something very specific. And I want to show you exactly what it means. Would you guys please bring me the Azazel? 
This is Petunia. And Emily. Petunia's the goat, by the way, just so you know. Petunia has volunteered to be the Azazel today. Petunia did not volunteer to be the ghost that died for your sins, just so you know. So it's not that goat. We're not shedding Petunia's blood, thankfully. But Petunia is the Azazel. So the high priest in front of all the people would take and put both of his hands onto the Azazel, right onto her head, and would then speak aloud the sins of all the people. Would speak aloud lust and greed and pride and the shame and the guilt and all that goes with all of that. And then the Azazel, according to what God has commanded, the scapegoat, the one that we're blaming everything for, the Azazel would be walked out of the camp, walked far away. No one ever wants to see this goat again. And don't you forget it. One of the things that the Jewish commentators tell us from the Talmud, from the Mishnah, and other historians is that early on, the high priest Aaron would take a scarlet cord and would put it upon the head of the Azazel that maybe, don't you eat it, that maybe, that maybe would have horns and would leave it there. And the person would walk the Azazel outside of the camp. And they would come back with this cord. And according to Jewish history, not Christian history, but according to Jewish history, after some time would go by, this wool cord would actually turn white. No one has an explanation for it. The Jewish people took it to mean that God had accepted their sacrifices. The word Azazel means to take away. A person prepared in advance was asked to take away the Azazel. All the sins of the people have been placed upon the Azazel. All the junk that we walked in here with has been placed upon the Azazel. Everything that I feel like I've done wrong, everything that I feel like I'm carrying around, it has all been placed in here. All upon the goat to take away. I asked one of our elders, Chuck, would you come up here? Where are you sitting at over here? I'd like to ask Chuck if he would. We're going to allow Emily to continue to handle the goat, so don't worry about that. But I'd like to ask Chuck if he would to take away the sins of the people. I'm going to tell you where Chuck is going. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Chuck is carrying your sin away. I don't know what you wrote down on the card, but some of you are keeping a close eye on Chuck. <laughs> He's going to carry the sin to the dumpsters. This is very scientific. The dumpsters are picked up early Monday morning before the sun comes up. The sins are being removed and they are never coming back. The next time somebody says to you, I know who you are. I know what you've done. I know what you were. I know what a liar you are. 
I know that you cheated. I know about your greed. I know about your lust. I know what a wreck that you are. I know what you did five minutes ago. I know what you did five years ago. The next time the devil or anybody else comes at you with something like that, you just look at him and say, I'm sorry, my sin has left the building. It's gone. It has been removed. It's been taken away. It is not coming back. Because of sacrifice, sin had to be atoned for. It had to be covered. And then it had to be removed. So what about Jesus? Hebrews chapter 7, verse 24 says this. But he, Jesus, holds his priesthood permanently. Because he continues forever. All the other priests would die off. Consequently, listen to this, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. He is that connection. He is our intercessor. How is he that? For it was indeed fitting that we would have a high priest. You needed a priest. Holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners and exalted above the heavens. He has no need like those other high priests who offer sacrifices daily. Why? Listen to this. For his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once and for all when he offered himself up, he became the high priest by becoming the goat. He became the sacrifice. And the pictures tell the story. John chapter 19, verse 5. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and a purple robe. If a crown of thorns is administered properly and placed into the scalp, he's going to bleed red around his head. From the year 30 AD to the year 70 AD, not Christian historians and commentators, Jewish, say that the cord never turned white again. Do you know why? Because the sacrifice was done. Once and for all, Jesus has paid for the sins of every single one of us, and he has carried them away, not just out to the dumpsters, but according to Psalm 103, as far as the east is from the west. Let me show you again from John chapter 19. It was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about noon. Here is your king, Pilate said to the Jews. But they shouted, before they shouted, crucify him. Look at what they said. You know, crucify him, crucify him. But listen to what they said about Jesus. They said, take him away. Take him away. If they were shouting it in Hebrew, they were yelling, Azazel, Azazel. The one scapegoat has come and he has put to rest sacrifice from now forevermore so that he could be our great high priest, our connection to God the Father himself. That's what he came to be. Hebrews chapter 10 says this, every priest stands daily at his service. I mean, these guys, they're on their feet all day long. Every single one of them. Offering repeatedly, every year we got to do this thing, the same sacrifices. And those things can never take away sins, but look at this. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, that would be himself, he sat down 
at the right hand of God. These guys walking around all day long, they're killing animals for this family over here. They're killing animals for this family over here. They've got this, this just happens all day long. The sacrificial system just continues and continues and continues and continues until Jesus comes. And Jesus comes and he comes into this little wooden, rugged, humble manger. And he goes from that manger to the cross so that he could stretch out his arms, so that we could walk across his shoulders from nail scar to nail scar, so that we could be the children of God. It's God connected to God. God connected man to God for us. That's what he has done. That's what he has done. And then when it was all said and done, One more picture. When he ascends to the Father, after shouting, it's finished, he sits down. And that's where he is today. To connect you and me to the Father. You needed a priest, you needed a connection. But you didn't know it. So he became it. He who knew no sin became sin for us. To be the only way, the only truth, the only life, the only way to get to God. How does God see you? If you've put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, he sees you as holy. The scriptures call us a kingdom of priests set apart. It is now our job to reflect the face of God. You say, I don't feel worthy of that. My sin is dark. My circumstances are dark. Can I just tell you, because of Jesus, all is well. All is bright. He sees you through his light and no one else's so that you could connect people to God just as he has connected us. That's what he's called us to do. That's what he's asked us to do. Let the picture of your life tell that story. Would you bow your heads with me? If you're here today, you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. I hope you have a little more understanding of what Christ's death on the cross means for you. There had to be a sacrifice for your sins, for all the way you fall short. All of us come into the world this way. We all fall short. So there had to be a sacrifice. And so he became the sacrifice so that he could become our priest, our connection to God. And he did that for you. It doesn't matter what you think you were. It's what you are in this moment, created by God for a relationship with him. So if you're here today and you've never put your faith and trust in the one who died on the cross for your sins and has risen from the dead for you today, you can pray right now in your own words. I'm gonna pray just a sample prayer. I would encourage you to pray from your heart to God's God. 
thank you so much for what Jesus did on the cross for me, for dying to take my sins far away, never to return. Thank you for that. I accept that message, that gift of salvation. God, would you help me to walk with you in a different way today, to know you in a different way, to know you as the one who's risen from the dead, to give me hope and to give me life today. With heads bowed and eyes closed, if you prayed to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, it is so important that you take just a moment and in that worship guide that you received when you came in today, there's a card. There's a place for you to tell us that you received Christ as your Savior. If you want to come down here and tell me after the service, you can tell me, you can tell our prayer team members, but you can take that card and you can place it up here in one of the mangers. You can take it to the atrium, to our help center. We, we really, really want to help you get started on your journey with Jesus. Everyone else, look up here at me. Child of God, the one who came in a manger, who we love and we celebrate and we worship, he came with a different gift and a different sacrifice. He was the gift. He was the sacrifice for you and for me. Don't let anybody call you anything less than child of God. Don't let anyone look at you as anything less than a little priest in the kingdom and economy of God. This is what we are here to do, to connect people to God. That is now our role. And so that's what we seek to do here as a church, to bring other people into this life-changing journey of becoming fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. With that said, that's why we take this gift offering, to be connected to people who we may not ever meet, but just the ripples of this moment have an impact on their lives. The ripples of what happens here on Sunday morning, on Wednesday night, because of the giving here, because of the worship here, because of the teaching here. We want to be a part of those things so as we see our great high priest one day, he can say, well done.